As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle and I'm down to dunk. I'm Darius Baisley and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk. This is Poku and I'm down to dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cracklin' Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these? I'm going to share with my team, but I'm going to hog most of them. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Go to theathletic.com slash down to dunk and get the athletic for $1 a month for six months. You're out of excuses, everybody. You got to go to theathletic.com slash down to dunk. It'll give us a little credit. Give us a little bump. Let the athletic know that we're doing some things over there, too. And uh, you get some great content for just $1 a month. Uh, With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up? (laughs) Oh, sorry. Oh gosh! What's okay? up? Um, and now the Almighty Thunder Draft Oracle has returned. Ben Pfeiffer, please. Okay, so oh, if, man. You, if you haven't heard this, you can go on my Twitter page. I posted a video from Ben. This was weeks before the draft. This was when we were knee deep in trying to figure out if Book Night would actually fit with SGA and all this. And Ben comes on the show and he's like, listen, this guy, Josh Giddy, would fit really well in Oklahoma City. He's actually super good. And I think he can do this and this and this. And we're like, huh, like that's quite an idea. And two weeks later, bam, he's on the team. Ben, we're, we got big expectations. We expect to know exactly who they're taking at 2, 12, 30, 34 by the end of this. So uh, welcome to the show. Sure, Thanks I'll, for coming on. I'll go four for four these Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty sure you had Jeremiah Robinson Earl. They're trading two picks in the second round to get him. I mean, it was crazy. It was oh weird. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, certainly, a lot of pressure <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know what you expect from me. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm just messing. I'm totally messing with you. Uh, we're excited no, to have I'm, you. I'm, One of the reasons that we wanted to have you on last year, and a reason we want to have you on this year, is that you really do your own evaluations and you. 
you use your own brain to make an, your own evaluation on these prospects, which I think is really important <laughs> at times like this because it's one big groupthink. And you can be in like two buckets of groupthink. There's like a draft Twitter bucket of groupthink, then there's like the consensus mock draft bucket of groupthink. And you kind of try to stay out of both of them, which I really respect. I, I think is great. Yes, I after since since i'm like not really like like doing this like professionally anymore i've like kind of like left the echo chamber which has been it's certainly been interesting for my for my process but yes um i i, I do my best and i certainly certainly think i don't really align with consensus a lot this year i mean it's that way every year but and i think that's actually a good lead into our first question because i want to start at the top of the draft not with jabari not with chet i want to start with your number one player in this draft based on your most recent big board which is Paolo Bancaro. Now, it seems like Paolo is on the top of a lot of draft boards on Twitter, and yet, if you read basically any mock draft from any of the major outlets, Bancaro is always slotted into the third pick and, and oftentimes isn't even considered in the top two. Like, they'll have their little blurbs, and they won't say, or they could go Bancaro here. They don't even say that. Why do you think that is? Is it because... Do you think it's like a combination of like how the lottery played out? Like what teams are at the top? Is it smoke screens? Are people just overthinking this? Like why is Paolo only the number one guy on Twitter? I think like the most likely explanation is just people overthinking it, which is generally the the explanation that that I think is correct. Um, it's a really weird one to me because like Paolo, like you kind of feel like he's like a guy that the NBA likes because he's like a huge guy who's like a really great shot maker um, and has like some like broad issues with like his defense um, and his like feel and process and stuff. And like those are generally the kind of guys that like the NBA tends to gravitate towards over like a guy like Chet, who is like yeah. a super defensive specialist. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 kind of weird. I, I agree. Um, I don't. I mean, I do like wonder if it's like smoke. I it, it's so hard to know at this point, um, with like agent smoke and you know like whatever teams, whatever information teams want out there. Um, but I don't know. I certainly think he's, um, you know, not by an extreme margin, but I, I certainly think he's yeah. the best prospect in this class because I mean, like we said, he is like a six six ten six eleven guy who can really who can really score at all three levels, who can handle, who's you know a quite good passer. Um, like he has like very, very high level offensive skills and traits. Um, and like the kind of players, like the kind of player that, you know, if he hits his ceiling as a guy who can really create, you know, is, is kind of game breaking. So I don't know. It, it might be helpful, like to put him into some context because he's at the top of your board, but like if you compared him to last year's draft and how you felt about those players going into that draft, where would he rank in that crop of prospects? Like, would he still be a top five guy? For oh, for sure, for sure. Okay, I mean, okay, okay. I think like the top two of Cade and Mobley last year, at least for me and many others, was just like very special, um, and would be a solid top two. So like, I I had Jalen Green third last year, um, and I think Paolo is like a pretty similar level prospect to Jalen Green. Like, okay, okay, I'm not sure who I think is better between those two. I think it's kind of like take your pick, um, but I think so. Like, like he is a very good prospect. Like he is a guy who like is like a worthy number one pick in like a weaker draft or like, a, you know, an okay draft and like someone who is like a very strong, like top three pick in a, in a strong draft. So like, I, I certainly think he's like a, a like, like, I mean, there's basically like no draft in history where he's not like a top five prospect. Okay, um, okay. Like, like, like he, he is legitimately very good, even if like, he's not like, you know, like the super like franchise defining star prospect that, you know, we've had a couple in the last, you know, 
five years or so. Yeah. Oh, Andrew, you're muted. Muted. Son of a wow. <laughs> That's a rookie amateur. Move. Rookie, rookie. God, I can read minds, but not lips. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need the mic. Um, so on your big board, you have Paulo in a tier at the top with Chet, who you have number mm-hmm. two. Uh, is Paulo like far and away your number one guy, or is Chet close enough where you would consider no. him over Paulo depending on the team? Uh, yes, that. I think Chet is is another phenomenal prospect. Um, I don't think he is that much different than Paolo in terms of how I value them. I think it, it certainly would value on teams uh, and like Intel and like whatever teams you know uncover that mortals like us can't can't have access to. Um, but no, I think they're both like very amazing prospects. Like if you have more of like an offensive like franchise star, um, then maybe you go then maybe you go with maybe you go with Chet. And if you're a team that really like lacks in defense, or maybe if you, you know have like a defensive anchor already or a core, um, then you go with Paolo. And you know even if you, I, I think like for basically any team picking in the top two or three, either of those will be a good choice because I think you know as we will get into like they're both players that I think like work with a lot of different players, um, and I think are just kind of kind of going to be really good regardless. Um, so yeah, I mean I, th- I think those two are pretty equal. I, I I don't think there's a big difference between them. So like if if you had Chet one, I'd be like fine that's I think, I think it's perfectly fine yeah so let's say jabari goes one which is kind of what like the the big guys are hinting at right now yeah, that that's, that's where it he's seems like go. that's what's that's what the magic or you know, that's what they say they're thinking so. so would you as the thunder take paulo or chet man that's it's very very tough <laughs> yeah. it's a very tough question i think i'd probably take chet just because i think like one, I mean, he covers so many obvious weaknesses that that this core has. Um, you know, lacking someone, lacking like one of their young players who's like a real interior defensive monster. Um, I think he like he's able to cover for so many of their other guys' uh, weaknesses. Um, you know, he's able to amplify their strengths. Like he's an amazing finisher. Uh, well, he's not necessarily like the above the rim like lob finisher you might pray for for someone like Giddy. Um, he is an incredible finisher. Um, so like if, if he catches within like five feet, he's going to score, um, you know, amazing touch and ambidextrous finishes and length. And, um, so I think he, he's kind of like a safety blanket prospect for, for younger guys, which I think is really enticing for the thunder because the thunder are going to continue to have like, even beyond their top guys, like a revolving door of uh, young prospects that they would like to try out. And I think because of Chet's defense and because of his finishing and because of his shooting, um, and because of just his general sturdiness, I think he's a guy that helps other players develop optimally as well. Um, so I think for for those reasons, and I mean, I think you know, if he hits the ceiling, Chet is a you know a true star, um, you know, a, a guy who can be a, a defensive player of the year, you know, contender talent and an all defense level talent, and someone who can really mesh well, I think, with with Giddy and Shea on offense as like a guy who can finish, shoot threes. Um, maybe do a little bit of passing out of like dribble handoffs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would probably take Chet, but like, I, like, I don't think Paolo, I think Paolo would be almost as equally good an option. Yeah. Um, Cause like, again, a guy who can like, it's just like, like the advantage creation and like the offensive firepower that like Paolo get Paolo giddy and, and Shay would bring is like unbelievable. Like all three of them are good passers. Um, you know, Shay and Paolo can really can really shoot and create shots, and you know Giddy hopes hopefully is trending that way. Um, so I think that would just be like super overwhelming offensively, 
I mean, long term, I think you're, I mean, you're going to want to address defense, but I think at this point in in OKC's process, and I, th- I think this way with basically everyone who's not like a true contender, I think like you, you don't worry about like the the more minute fit stuff at the top of the draft, mm-hmm. unless you were like mm-hmm. the Bucks or like the Warriors or something. And then in that case, yeah. you're probably not picking this high anyway. Yeah. So it was Woj reported that the Thunder were trying to get into the top three to try to get Evan Mobley last year. How would you compare Chet to Evan Mobley, like as prospects? I think Mobley is definitely a better prospect than Chet, just because Mobley was like a, a good bit better for me on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Chet is like Chet is a better shooter, um, but like Mobley had like the real like creation ceiling. I think we we saw some of this year where he's able to like create off the dribble and and work in the post and score in like the mid range and and like pass really well. Um, whereas Chet is like a good offensive big for sure, but just you know, not like Mobley. Mm-hmm. And then I think Chet is probably like as a pure interior defender, like a little bit better than Mobley, just because like the technique is great. He's a little bigger, um, but like the way Mobley covers like ground and like can like guard the perimeter is just really really special. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think Mobley is like a better prospect than than Chet, just because of like the offensive upside mostly, but like. I mean, Chet is still a fantastic prospect, and I think fills a lot of the same gaps that you're looking for um, when you're thinking about the Thunder trading up or you know acquiring a guy like that. So speaking of Chet's offense, Draft Deeper on Twitter mentioned that on NBA Today a few weeks ago, Mike Schmidt said, we saw 20% of what Chet can do offensively at Gonzaga. What do you think about Chet's offensive upside? Because watching some of the highlights, like you do see that like Dirk fade away, but of course it's just like a flash. But like, do you buy into this idea that maybe there's more there, maybe that we saw like in high school that just didn't translate to Gonzaga because of the way that team was constructed? Kind of. I think the the main upside with Chet is probably just him becoming like a really good and versatile shooter. Um, like, I don't really think the creation stuff is fair. Um, I think like like ever since he's gotten like number one pick smoke. Um, like since since like junior high school, he was like probably unfairly billed as someone who can like dribble and create. Um, when like all in all, like his handle is like very questionable, um, and like he's not a very good passer. Um, you know, like, like he just isn't really built to to carry like a high offensive load. And like I think that's totally fine. Like I don't think that's I don't think that's like a fair expectation uh, of Chet because I don't think he needs to. Like I said. I think like a very, very high level play finisher is probably like the offensive upside, which is, you know, could be a very, like there are some very elite play finishers in the league, both at the rim and on the perimeter. Like some of the, the, the shot making, like off of the, like off of dribble handoffs and like dribbling the ball up after a block and transition and pulling up for three is awesome. Um, and I think the, my, my thought on his most ideal path to upside um, is like, really doing those with more consistently. Cause like, if you have a seven footer who can like shoot off multiple kinds of actions, like you don't really need, um, you, you really don't need much else, I think. And like, yeah, just get him to make, you know, I, I think he can totally be a guy who makes, who makes, you know, simple, basic enough passes, like at his, at his, you know, potential offensive ceiling. I think he's going to be a good enough passer for sure for his role. Um, I think he's an amazing finisher. Um, going to be an awesome potential shooter. Um, but I don't think there's like creator unicorn upside with him, you know, per se, where I think someone like Paolo like really has that upside. So the last of the the big three that we haven't discussed yet is Jabari Smith. 
Uh, on your big board, you have Paolo and Chet at the top. In the second tier, Jaden Ivey, AJ Griffin. And then at the third at the third part of your tier, you have Jabari Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Why are you lower on him than consensus? Because there's a lot of people that would be excited for him to go number one. Yeah, I think my big disconnect with, with consensus on Jabari is that I'm just a lot less, lot less optimistic about his offensive upside um, and, you know, just what he does on offense. I actually think I'm, like, higher on his defense. I think his defense is probably, like, under-discussed. Sure. Because, um, like, he is, like, a quite, like, special on-ball defender. Like, mm-hmm. that guy is an unbelievable mover at his size. Uh, like, it is very, very special. And I'm, like, no, I'm certainly not doubting that. But I think outside of the shot-making, which is probably, you know, could be quite special, um, I'm worried about how else he had he adds value. Um, like, 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 for example... I think like if you have him on a team like the Thunder, um, you obviously he's probably you know, going to be either third or fourth in like the ball handling pecking order. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, behind Shea and Giddy and whoever else you know is ball handling. And at that point, I, I think Jabari is is not really someone who can play as an off ball player outside of catch and shoot because you know he's going to be a great catch and shoot player, but he 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 has a loose handle. Um, he is not a good passer. He is not a good finisher. Um, so I think all of the additive skills, um, that, you know, you really want next to a guy like Giddy or Shea, like someone who can really finish off of screens or cuts and someone who can make the extra passes and someone who can run like a secondary pick and roll. I think Jabari just lacks a lot of that. Um, where, you know, if you give him the ball at 17 feet, um, you know, he's, he's going to hit it over everyone. Um, and if you give him like the ball at, you know, like, like if if you give him like face up threes, he's, he's going to be very good at those. Um, but I don't think, like, I don't know if it's going to be good enough to make up for his other issues. Because there's, there's already, like, a lot of times in college where he's, like, smothered and has a lot of trouble, like, creating easy shots against college-level defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the NBA level, that gets that's just going to get harder and harder. Like, defenders are going to get longer and more athletic. Um, and, well, I, I think Jabari is certainly not going to have too much issue getting his shots off over NBA defenders because I, I do think he's a very, very, very high-level shot-making prospect. Um, there are just, like, kind of other things I, I think I value more um, where with his athletic limitations, uh, with his feel limitations, um, I think there's just obstacles for him to become a real offensive star. And, like, I, I, again, like, I certainly don't think he's a bad prospect. I think he's a pretty good prospect um, all in all. I just think when you're picking in the top two or, you know, one, two or three, um, you really want that like franchise, you know, as much of that, like, you know, direction changing star as you can. And I think, you know, long term, I see Jabari as more of like a complimentary piece than a guy who can really have, you know, the ceiling of, you know, someone like Chet or 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 um, or Paolo or even like, you know, Ivy or AJ Griffin, if their ceiling hits, obviously, you know, more of a risk, but something like that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've seen some people bring up this argument, and I'm kind of interested in your take. The idea that Jabari had a higher free throw attempt rate than the other two guys, um, which, like, the way he gets described, it doesn't seem like that would be true, because we always talk about, like, oh, he's not a great finisher, he's not great inside the three-point arc, other than this, like, one or two dribble um, pull-up. So, like, do you do you just dismiss that, or or, or how do you factor that in? Because that does seem to to show sure. something about him. For sure, for sure. I th- I think um, like when you when you look at these things, it's like when you look at like a stat that like doesn't seem right. It's like important to like go back and watch. I think like a lot of Jabari's like foul drawing that's actually that's not just like ticky tack or like whatever fouls. Yeah. 
um, is like he's like very good at like the BS kind of rip through fouls. Um, hmm. Like he is a very good jump shot foul sh- foul drawer, um, which is something that like you just never know how to like how to how to handle because like the rules are always changing and you know especially for rookies like refs are not going to be as as forgiving um, with plays like that. Um, I do think like. If I recall, I think a lot of the like like he he also was like a pretty good, decent foul drawer in transition, and like I do think he's like a quite good transition player because like Che he does like the pull up three thing, and when he can get ahead of steam, you know he can certainly move and and, and get up in space. But I think, um, and also like I think another big uh, source of his foul drawing is like defenders will like flail their arms wildly and do what they can to stop his like post fadeaways and, and like mid route mid range, like face up jumpers. Um, Cause like college defenders are just like not athletic enough or not long enough or not strong enough yeah. to handle a guy with that size and that touch. Um, but I think again, like NBA defenders um, are longer and stronger and more athletic and smarter about not fouling. So like I think, considering Jabari isn't like a super strong guy and doesn't, you know, at least to my eye, have great finishing craft. Um, I don't really see that as like a super positive. I mean, it, it's nice to see, and I think like he is gonna be a guy if he is able to like hit his ceiling. Is gonna be like a master, like BS rip through jump shot foul drawer. Yeah, uh, which is which is sort of make people probably angry at some point. But yeah, I want to ask you uh, a quick question about Paolo because because we haven't mentioned him too much. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, was, I forget who I was reading. It might have been Boxing One, but they were talking about how in high school he weighed a lot less and looked a lot more explosive and then went to Duke, and now all of a sudden he's like 6'10", 250. Long term in the NBA, do you see him being able to play that five role? I mean, obviously he has the size, but like, do you think that he can, do, he can, he can develop into that defensively, or is he always going to need a rim pre- protector next to him? I would probably be skeptical of it on the defensive end. I think if he keeps that size, then I certainly think it's possible. Um, like I, I think Paolo is a better defender than he showed at Duke. Um, I think he kind of fell into the trap that a lot of you know h- highly heralded recruits, where they just kind of get apathetic about you know the more minutia of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like I don't really see that as a big issue. I see his like again, he's not the greatest leaper in you know in space and in short areas, and he's a good mover, but you know not a great mover. Um, I definitely see him as more of like a kind of like weak side four defender uh, than a five. I don't think it's crazy because like if he is like re- like you know really this this large, I think you can certainly stick him there in certain lineups. So mm-hmm. I think he gives you that versatility at you know assuming he hits his defensive ceiling, which I think is going to be good enough. Not never pro- probably never elite, but someone who's like you know a, a solid you know above average defender. I think. He can be someone who is versatile and gives you the option to play at the five in certain lineups, but definitely I don't think someone who you want like regularly playing there. Yeah. Offensively, I think he can do it for sure. But like that's you know, that's a lot less less demanding, I'd say. So on your big board you have Jaden Ivey as your third best prospect. Uh, there have already been some rumblings that OKC would be willing to trade down with the idea that they're interested in Ivy. Uh, let's pretend the rumors are true. Uh, how do you think Ivy would fit with this current Thunder team? Man, I I really like it. I feel like like, like a lot of people have been like I've seen people worrying like not only in, in these in, in these comments 
Um, and then just in general, <laughs> like like worrying about Ivy being like, oh, he needs the ball to score. He's going to not mesh with Giddy and, and Shea. I don't really think that's true at all. I think the like I think the real like issue is like you have basically like three like guard defenders who like aren't that great um with Ivy but again like if you really believe he's that level of offensive talent you kind of probably ignore that um because I think just stacking st- stacking talent is is great mm-hmm. um I think Ivy is like probably at his best like attacking off of players like Giddy and and Shea um I think the major weakness for for Ivy at this point is that he's just really not a very polished pick and roll player and not a very polished intermediate score. Mm-hmm. Um, like his pacing, his pacing on his drives and on his pick and roll reads is just underdeveloped. I mean, it's improved a lot since the beginning of the year and last year, but it's still not, it's still not, it's still not great. And then he doesn't really have a lot of intermediate counters and a lot of, you know, different kinds of finishes. But what that guy can really do is destroy a tilted defense. Like if you watch like any Ivy highlights, like the crazy like half court dunks and like feats of athleticism um, that you see from from Jaden Ivy um, are really exceptional. Um, I think you, you have a guy like like Shea who you know is maybe the best or one of the you know three or four best drivers in the league um, at you know in creating advantages, and someone like Giddy who's developing into one of the best passers in the league. Um, Jaden Ivy is going to be feasting all day off of off of the attention that those guys get. And it's not to say that Ivy can't like can't do it himself. Like he is so special in terms of like athlete that he can burn a lot of defenders. Even you know with his handle isn't perfect, his more like advanced offensive stuff isn't perfect. Um, so like I think Ivy next to like Giddy and Shea would be like extremely overwhelming. Like it, it it's kind of like, like I could totally be it like see it being a thing that like defenses just have absolutely no clue how to deal with. Yeah. Um. Because like I think there's sort of like a like a real outcome where like if that were to happen, it, like OKC has like the two best drivers in the league. Um. Because like if Ivy really improves like the finishing craft and the pace, like he is like gonna enter the league as like a top three fastest guy in the league, like the second he steps onto an NBA floor. Yeah. And like he is also like like a very good catch and shoot shooter. Like I think like my main issue with his shot is like I don't think his energy transfer and his low shot and the release are great for like pull up pull-ups which is obviously important if he's going to be like a you know a heavy on-ball guy um but like in okc ivy wouldn't need to be a primary decision maker like someone who has to run a ton of pick and rolls um and you know make a lot of you know really difficult reads because they, they have they have giddy for that long term uh which yeah. is like a blessing and you know shay as well so i think I, I honestly think like offensively that would be really really fun um and i also like i certainly trust Stagnall to like put him in a Good spot. Um, I think he's definitely one of the better developmental coaches in the league. Um, I think he's done really well um, in his time. So I would. I think it would be really fun. I mean, it's not necessarily what I would do, um, but like if you can trade down and get him at like six, that would be like ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it it feels like it would have to be Sacramento at four to like feel confident. Yeah. Um, that's interesting what you said about the catch and shoot numbers. Cause I, I do think that's the fear for most thunder fans is like, yes, you can point back to the three guard lineup with like CP three Schroeder and SGA that was so successful that year. But as someone pointed out on Twitter and I forgot, I was looking for, to remember who it was like all those guys that year were above average from three point. And so right now, like thunder fans feel kind of confident about Shea, 
but that was mostly for like two years ago. And and then the second half of this year, we're still not super confident on Giddy. Like how confident should we be on Sharp? But it sounds like what you're saying is that if he's mostly in a catch and shoot role around those guys, you, you feel pretty good about the shot. Yeah, I think Ivy's going to be totally fine as a catch and shoot shooter. Like he's okay. already quite good at it. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know he's like like 36% from three this year on like a lot of self-created difficult attempts. Um, and I like like when he's open and can set his feet, which again is, is like the big issue with you know being a dynamic pull-up shooter like you know Steph or Dame or Trey, whatever, is you often don't have a lot of time to set your feet and to you know take a breath and get ready for your shot. But I right. think when, when Ivy has that, I think he's gonna be totally fine as a shooter. Um, okay, like so, so that is not a concern I would have. Okay, so we've covered most of our options at two. Let's move on to the 12th pick. This is where you could really uh, make some money, part, Ben. This, this, is is, this is the fun part for me. This and I'm going to start with fun. a philosophical question from uh, one of our listeners, Sports Fan 405. They ask, What is the correct way of looking at pick 12? Let's assume at that point we have Shea, Giddy, and Chet. Do you still go BPA or does fit start mattering more if you feel like those three are your core? And the example of this might be something like if Jalen Duran falls to 12, which could happen, it's likely that he would be the best player available. If you took Chet at two, would you still take him or do you start thinking more about fit? I think that's, that's a tough question. I think I'd probably like have to take Duran. Like if he was like the by far best player available, just because like, I, I mean, I'm pretty high on Duran. I think even though it's some consensus. And like yeah. I do think long term, he and Chet can certainly work. Like I don't think that's like a front court that I, like it certainly would need some some tinkering and it, you know it would have a lot of you know growing pains. But I think like long term, it's great. Generally, I think still at this point you're going you're going for best player available. Um, I think once you get down to you know you have three or four players who you like don't really see much of a difference in value, um, then you can go okay you know this this guy fits a need better or you know, this guy fits with our star player better. Or this guy, we, we think, you know, we think this is a better environment for him to develop. Um, but I think, like, it, 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 if there was a guy who I thought, like, was, like, a good tier or, like, significantly better, even at, like, a redundant position, honestly, like, this isn't, like, I don't think there are any of these guys there. But, like, I'd be more scared about taking, like, a third, like, real ball handler than a second big if they took Chet hmm. um, at okay. that point. But, like, I think... I think um, I think best player available is almost always the way to go. Um, but once you get down to like, you know, there's not so much separation between your, you know, the four best guys, then you can take your pick on who you think fits best. Yeah. And there's like this, this tier is really interesting because there's going to be a wing available. And there's a lot of like interesting wings in this range that I think will be available. Like AJ Griffin, like Johnny Davis, more of a guard than a wing, but still um, Jeremy Sohan, like one of those guys is going to be there. Ben Matherin, one of those guys. Uh, Who do you like the most out of that group? And I already know because I'm looking at your big board. It's AJ Griffin. Talk me in, talk me into AJ Griffin. I, I worry my concerns. So ease my concerns on AJ Griffin. He moves very heavy like he just looks heavy on the court and that worries me uh the injury history is like my primary thing that i look at and i'm like i just don't i don't feel confident like that's the only thing i don't feel confident about the shot i love it the potential that's there i love it the age like he's i think he's like second youngest guy that'll go in the first round love that Uh, 
but I am concerned about the other things, about the injury history and just the way that he moves on the court is concerning to me. So ease my concerns. Help me get to a tier where A.J. Griffin would be a steal at 12. I don't know. I mean, I'd love to say I can I can ease your injury concerns, but like I I, I can't really. Yeah, you can't really do like, that one. <laughs> but I, is, is I mean, part of your evaluation that you have expectation that his athleticism is going to significantly improve from where he was at Duke? Maybe not necessarily to where yeah. like people talk about him in high school, but like it is going to improve based on what we saw. I think so. Um, I think like. Like, again, like, one, like, you know, maybe positive upswing of the injury is, like, he has missed, like, critical, like, critical years of development um, because of how much high school, how much of his formative, like, high school, like, pre-college years that he hasn't been able to play. So he's, like, kind of behind on development, which is yeah. scary because of, like, how interesting of a prospect he already is at this point mm-hmm. uh, for being someone who is, like, a year and a half behind his peers um, in terms of, like, on-court development. So... I mean, I think the best thing I can do is like, especially if you're picking at 12, um, I think he is going to have a ceiling that's so much higher than anyone else um, that the way I look at it is it is much better to to swing on him and then miss because he gets hurt than to pass because you're afraid and then you pass on a star. Um, so I think like AJ has like real, real star upside on offense. As you, you know, you said, the, the shot is fantastic. Um, I, I honestly think he's a better shooter long-term than Jabari just because he can like really create his own shot with his handle. Um, like the guy can really dribble and like has handle manipulation, uh, where he's able to like use his like head fakes and pacing and his, like, he's like more flexible and more agile. Um, it's like get into spots and is also to my eye, a better off ball shooter just cause I mean, that also might be like selection bias just cause he does it way more than Jabari mm-hmm. uh, and has done it way more than Jabari since, you know, since they've been, you know, high schoolers. But I think again, like I, I saw at least like, one or two people like comparing, like asking like why I think Jabari is better than, or AJ is better than Jabari. Um, I think like the other stuff, like AJ is, I think a, a pretty, pretty significantly better passer than Jabari. Um, he's not perfect, and he, he often will get tunnel vision and and you know make make difficult plays uh, you know harder than they need to be. But he can really like make make lay down passes when he's off of a drive, or you know do like a you know an easier pick and roll pass that becomes a lot more important when you have like a giant shot creator um, like AJ Griffin. And I think defensively, um, yeah, that's that's definitely like where the injury has zapped the most because he was like an unbelievable defender. Uh, in high school, bef- like before his injuries, I think like y- you want him to get back to a place where he can at least like guard the ball. And I think because of his like extreme strength, he could be a guy who is pretty useful against like more strength based uh, wing creators. Um, and like like a guy who can really really like slide through screens when his feet are right. I mean, w- when his feet are wrong, as they were most of the year, he really yeah. struggles. To, to deal with screens but like when they're right it goes really right um and i think he has some instincts as well so like it certainly wouldn't be the safest pick in the world like no no matter where you're taking aj like i, I certainly can't deny that um but i think especially like you know f- especially for a team like okc but for any team um i think his upside would be way too significant to pass on as like a real big shot creator um, who can actually, you know, have the, you know, have the off-ball skills where he can pass out of a secondary pick and roll. Um, you know, I think the finishing again is going to have to be like pretty strength reliant. Like he is an enormous dude, um, and 
he's going to have to be able to use that strength better than he is now. So like certainly a project and like, I certainly like he, he's a guy who I like don't begrudge anyone for being skeptical of or being scared of, because mm-hmm. I think there are very legitimate reasons to be scared of him. But I also think there are very legitimate ways that he becomes a better player than almost everyone in this draft. So that's basically my longish long. That's like my empire state elevator ride pitch for you did it. You did it. I'm feeling really good now. I'm feeling good. I'm well, back on. I was on the I'm train, glad. off the train, back I'm on. I'm glad. I'm glad I could. Well, uh, let's throw him out. Let's say, because he sounds so great, he's probably going to be taken by 12. Uh, so let's assume, like, you Jabari. So. Ch- I mean, I mean, it depends on, like, what, I mean, I think, like, the big thing is going to be, like, what teams, like, find with his medicals, because, like, they yeah, will know yeah, better than we sure. will. Yeah. But let's assume, like, he's gone. Let's assume, like, Jabari, Chet, Palo, Ivy, Sharp, uh, Keegan, Dyson Daniels, everyone seems to think those guys are locks for the top 10. So that's like eight players. Of that next group, so we're t- thinking like Jalen Duran, Johnny Davis, uh, Ben Matherin, like who would you be hoping falls to 12 for the Thunder? Hmm. It's a, it, like, I look at a lot of those guys pretty equally. Um, like, I think Johnny Davis is like my favorite prospect out of those guys in a vacuum. And I think, and I, I do think he would fill like a very, a very needed guard defense void um, like long-term for this OKC team who can also be a guy who really gets his own shot. Um, like, I, I think people are kind of undervaluing that as like Johnny definitely has his issues, you know, with space creation and the shooting is not super consistent. He's not an amazing passer, but like he can really get his shot from all over the floor um, when he has space and when his footwork is right, he can beat guys off the dribble and he is a really, really great defender. Like he's so sturdy on ball makes the reads off ball. So I think like, like he's a guy who can fit pretty seamlessly um, with, with other guards as well. Um, so he would be useful as well. Um, and then I think man, Sohan, Sohan would be really, really good. Um, like just for his defense, just for his like wing, def- wing and, and interior defense. Um, but obviously like, isn't really the shooter that you want at this point. Yeah. Um, I definitely do like get a little scared about continuing to stack like not great shooters. Um, yeah. Like, I think a lot as, of Thunder fans are. Yeah. Ter- they're, they're terrified that he's going to be like Baisley 2.0. Yeah. I certainly don't think like that's the, cause I, I mean, I think like, I mean, he, I mean, you hope he gets to the point where he's like as skilled offensively as Baisley, but I, I mean, I mean, he'll, he'll be a significantly better defender than this, the second he walks into the league. Yeah. Um, I, like he's not my favorite guy, but like Matherin is probably the guy you want here. Yeah. Um, just because, like, if you get range. Chet, um, assuming um, if you get Chet and if you get, you know, if, if you have those guys, I think, like, Matherin is, like, very perfect off of, uh, off of like, Giddy and, and Shea is, like, definitely the best off-ball shooter um, yeah. at this point in the draft for sure. And I don't think that's everything, but at some point you have to address it. <laughs> Great cutter too. Um, like Giddy's yeah. gonna find him exactly on go, like, going to the basket. Like I remember, I just think about he and Kenrich. Like Kenrich Williams is like a like a good cutter, but Matherin's got like the athleticism, the length to like really get into these gaps. And Giddy's just gonna you know fling it to him from anywhere on the court. Like I can I can imagine that pairing being like yeah. pretty awesome. That could be like again like I, I think part of like why Matherin was so successful in in his Arizona offense. Um, that like is that like they kind of limited to him like playing off ball and like motion like floppy secondary pick and rolls and cuts exactly like you said, um, and like if if you ask him to like 
have the ball in his hands and create um, and do that stuff, you're, you're setting him up to fail. Um, but like I, the Thunder won't be asking him to do that. Like, <laughs> so I, I think probably if he's there, I'd say Matherin is the guy to go with. But I could honestly see him going um, as well. You, you've kind of touched on it, but like the luxury of having Shea and Giddy when evaluating these prospects, it's oh, come up multiple huge. times. We're like so many people when they're talking about other teams are focusing on the like self-creation for all these guys. And then you get to the thunder and it's like, well, if they can do that, that'd be great. But yeah, we don't but really don't need, need that. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, like ideally you, you have yourself creators for, for your, you know, your future championship team, ideally. Like, yeah. so I think, I certainly think like it never hurts to get better prospects, but Matherin is a guy who, um, who I'm certainly, who I'm certainly like I, I've grown on and I think he would be like, a very very good fit and probably isn't going to be like a like like a huge difference okay so you you got me super hyped for aj griffin now get me hyped for somebody in like the 30 to 34 range um mm, that's like that's i mean like in like the espn or the athletics mock draft range um, you know, get me pumped up about somebody in that range because I haven't I haven't gotten quite gotten there with many of these. For guys sure, yet. let me just pull up the ESPN best available, which I tend to look at as like the best marker of like Intel, without a doubt. And like some people um, at this point, when they kind of they want to ignore the report about you know Chet being the guy at two, like oh well, people don't know, like they probably they they probably know no, more than yeah. almost anybody. So don't yeah. don't ignore those reports. You can ignore some others. You can yeah, ignore it's like whatever you think about like the mainstream analysis for like Gavoni or whatever. Like they definitely to me are like for sure the most well sourced. Yeah. I was I sent a Andrew a screenshot yesterday from Thunder Twitter. There was a comment after that Gavoni report that said, "Well, this contradicts NBA Central." So I'm not sure if we should go with it. <laughs> Kills it. Like a known like random aggregator. Yeah. Um, versus like the most plugged in draft guy. Yeah. <laughs> um all right, guys um in that 30 30ish range. So, uh, a name you're seeing a lot come up which who probably won't be there. Um, is like Jalen Williams of, of Santa Clara. There's like yeah. three Jalen Williamses. Yeah, I know. Um, it's so weird. But Jalen Williams of Santa Clara. Um, he had a great combine. You know, I was a big fan of his before the combine. Just give him another like like huge off guard that can really like you know play well next to other ball handlers. Like not the greatest creator in the world. He's kind of slow and unathletic, but like can really can really shoot off the dribble. Uh, can really pass for a guy his size. And I think there's a little like. A little like Bruce Brownism in him in his in, in his game as well, where he can like be used as a roller, um, you know, cut and make passes off of the short roll. Um, he can be a guy who you like stick in the dunker spot and he makes plays there. So he has some like big qualities. Um, overall, just someone who's like very very versatile. Um, and I think if he's available there, there's a good chance he's like the best player available, anyways. Hmm. Um, so that certainly is is a good option. Um, Christian Brown. Uh, would be another good one to to go for at at thirty um, if he's there. Just like a very like versatile wing piece that you can kind of never get enough of. Yeah, um, someone who can shoot. Um, I have like a little worries about his shooting because he's just like sometimes a hesitant shooter, um, which is kind of the worst thing that you want in someone who you have as like an off ball player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can you know he he can pass, he can dribble, he can he can cut. He's a smart player. He tries on defense. 
Um, he's just the kind of rotation wing uh, that you really want, especially for a team that already has their you know creator creatory guys uh, locked in. I am also a huge fan of David Roddy, um, Colorado State guy. Thick Daddy David um, Roddy, I like him he too. Is, he is he is thick and he is awesome. Yeah, um, he is good. Like he he can that guy can really like I, I like like when I first was like like I remember like seeing his box score stuff and like his his like stats and like his frame. I'm like I'm like there's no way this guy is actually good. Like, like he's just yeah. gonna be like a you know college four who's like you know getting all his buckets in the post. Um, mm-hmm. But like he's he's really good. Like he's he's explosive. He can like create off the dribble a little bit. He was he shot he shot the hell out of the ball this year, and I think he can really shoot off you know shoot off of movement and and off the ball. Like really smart on defense. Um, like tries very hard. Is smart. Like the the thickness is going to help him a lot guarding you know stronger and bigger players. Like can pass as well. He did a lot of passing out of the post. You know. I think he can be like a real mismatch beater because, like, if you put like a six 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 seven skinny wing on him, like he's gonna he's gonna go right through you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, there's like another very interesting complementary guy with like a different skill set than like a pure like catch and shoot off ball guy. I think like there's real upside as like a mismatch puncher, um, someone who's gonna be able to to defend enough, gonna shoot enough. Um, ESPN like best available has him like late second i feel like he's gonna go higher than that i'm actually pretty confident he's gonna go higher than that yeah um like he is he is like legitimately quite like he's good um so he would be another guy i love the idea of taking chet and david roddy in the same draft that that would be that that would be hilarious um i really want to also that's my that's my draft day dream right now that's that's (laughs) my dream scenario at this point yeah and then like i think like if you're interested in creator swings um, I think the best guys to look for are Turk Smith and Blake Wesley. Um, Wesley, like, I think is like Wesley is like six five and an amazing advantage creator, like very raw and like shooting consistency and finishing. Um, but like he can he can really get downhill. He can really work in the pick and roll. Um, and it's like a, another like you know, if you want another like guard project, he's a great one to go. And then like Turk Smith is just like a nuclear shooter. It seems like. He shot like 15 threes per 100 possession this last year, which is like basically like nobody does that except for like Steph and Trey yeah. in terms of like college prospects, which is, you know, not to say he's you know anywhere near that level of prospect, but he is probably a very good intriguing shooter with, you know, some bursts and some passing. So I don't really know if you're going to be, you know, interested in creator swings at like 30 for the Thunder. You're probably not, but yeah. those are the two best guys there as well. So those are just some names that, that I like in that range. Uh, okay, last question. One of the names is get, getting thrown around on Thunder Twitter a lot is Usman Jang, who he's not on your big board yet, but I know you've started watching his tape. Any early impressions, either for just where you think he might end up on your big board or how he might fit on the Thunder based on what you've seen? Yeah, he's really good. I'm a big fan of his early. Like, like I said, like I'm like he's like the last like real main prospect that I'm getting around to to watching, and like I have been in on like all of the NBL prospects, like all of the big <laughs> NBL guys. So, um, I I do like Jang a lot. I mean, there there are like broad similarities to Giddy in like very large guy who passes the ball, um, but I think like Usman, Usman's thing is like he's a really great ball handler. Uh, where like that was like maybe Giddy's primary weakness um, where like he's super fluid can get in and out of moves um, can really get to that intermediate area 
Um, the, the question is like, like, what does he do when he gets there? Because like the scoring is is very problematic. Um, like I think he's like a significantly worse scorer than than Giddy was um, at the same at the same stage. And like Giddy was not the greatest scorer, um, <laughs> right? Coming yeah. in the draft, but like mm-hmm. I was like Usman is a, it was like a quite good defender, which I didn't necessarily expect going into his tape. Like he can really move for for a guy who's like six nine or six ten. He has nice instincts. He's long as hell. Um, I'm I'm very pro Usman. Like I think like maybe he's like a bit redundant with with Giddy because you have like another like guy with broadly similar issues at the moment, like someone who's like a large guy who passes and then like shooting and scoring is, is an issue. Yeah. He's kind of, it's, it's kind of like offensively, at least if you like took Giddy and like scaled his strengths down a little bit, um, which is like still a pretty good player. Um, and I think at, like, like at his ceiling, Usman can be different because of the handle. And because I, I think he's certainly a much lesser passer than Giddy. I mean, n- not a slight at Usman at all. Um, yeah. You know, we, we know how special a passer Josh Giddy is. Um, could certainly be better as a scorer and, you know, will almost certainly be a better defender. So I wouldn't hate it at 12. I think like if you really think he's the best player available, um, it like never hurts to add more like really young, smart passing talent, especially at size and guys who defend. Um, so I'd, I'd be okay with it, certainly. I think he'll probably, you know, I'll probably end up having him like somewhere in like the late lottery range as well. Um, so I think that's like a perfect spot for him. And I think he'll be a, you know, a good enough fit. There's probably going to be better options. Um, but I don't think Usman would be, bad, would be bad at all. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Go follow Ben on Twitter at BJPF underscore. Uh, he's a great Twitter follow. He's a he's the Thunder Twitter oracle, and I hope you <laughs> I guys... Saying, so much pressure. Uh, for this. No, you're the oracle. There's no <laughs> pressure. It just happens. pressure these takes. It's like I just need happens. to like... We'll see. It's more likely that I get... Um, I get Chet right. Yeah. Well, honestly, I feel like the big takeaway this year is like last year, it really was a question of fit. And this year, it feels like almost all of these guys fit with the Thunder in some way because of how they built the roster, because they have Shea and Giddy, that there are just like so many more options available, or at least it feels that way. Oh, yeah. They're certainly doing, uh, I think we we can all agree, they're doing a very nice, a nice job. Um, They're doing a, a quite good job of, of like building this team yeah uh, which is which is pretty cool yeah well thanks so much man we really appreciate it we'll have you on again soon uh after the thunder take chet and uh, aj griffin david roddy and david roddy, david roddy. Oh. that would be awesome gosh i'm so cool. excited about the idea I just, roddy and kenrich would be enough would be a hilariously would awesome be, duo it would be awesome that would be really fun that would that would, that would be very fun that would make my life so good uh, go follow Ben, and uh, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks, Ben. All right. We are going to talk a little bit of draft scuttlebutt after this quick break. Don't leave. We're also going to do a little debriefing of uh, what we heard from Ben. So stick around. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When it's time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash dunk. That's linkedin.com slash dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And we're back after that quick break. Alex, it's NBA draft scuttlebutt season. A lot. lot We're we're starting off hot, which makes sense because it's the combine. You know, always some good scuttle that comes out of the combine. And I think we got to start with the big one, which uh, is the idea that the Thunder are either interested or just might be willing to mm-hmm. move down in this draft. <laughs> now, now mo- most people who have brought this up as an idea have targeted Sacramento. A lot of times, this scuttlebutt is coming from the Sacramento perspective. James Ham, about- in particular, James Ham. Yeah, more- not John Ham. James Ham. Different Ham, man. Yeah. Only one M. I believe John has two M's, right? Correct. That's correct. Yes. Different Ham, man. Uh, but yeah, a lot of times it's coming from the Sacramento perspective of Sacramento thinking about moving up mm-hmm. as a, you know, it can go both ways. I think, and, and some people are freaking out about this. <laughs> as they probably <laughs> should be. We have been just aching for a top three pick in this draft for this whole season. And then you get there we and have. you trade back. It's like, but what here, is all this for? 
<laughs> Here's the deal. I want to start with this. This is from a, an article that Joe Masato wrote uh, back in, I believe, November. Or, or it might have been October. Shout out. Uh, before, before the start of the season. When uh, people were starting to freak out about Shingun, you know, ooh, Shingun, he's ooh, looking Shen pretty good. He's looking spicy. Why did yeah. we give this guy away? Yeah. And first of all, it's very interesting that, like, because Presti is directly quoted in this article. So obviously, like, Presti felt some need to come out and explain that move. The Shingun move. Oh, yeah. For, for yeah. whatever reason. But yeah, the yeah. quote he gave was, it was way above the line for the general value of that pick. Yeah. And we're probably going to make that decision most of the time. Now, what that implies is that they have values placed on every single pick in the draft. It's not just like they only value the 16th pick, like they have some Without chart that they look at. They have that for every single pick in the draft, which yep. means that there must be a price for the second overall pick that they would be willing to move it. Yeah, You, you, you could imagine a same quote like that after they trade the second pick for whatever. Yeah, but the point is that like it would have to meet and probably dramatically exceed whatever line that is. Yes, two picks for the sixteenth pick is easy to see that that's an overpay for the sixteenth pick. Like that's right. That's plain easy. That's a slam dunk. Uh, for the second pick, though, what is it? Because like the rumor from James Ham was that. And this isn't even a rumor. This was him discussing it on a podcast. Like, yeah, let's it, make sure just, that we understand just, the context of it. Sim similar to us, just like throwing out ideas. Like, would this make any sense? Yeah. That kind of thing. And here's how he even framed it was like, well, you know, I give them the fourth pick and then I'd give them a lottery protected pick, a uh, lottery protected or top five protected pick. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, those, like you're throwing those <laughs> both around. Like, they're so similar. It's like, no, those right, are right, so right. dissimilar. It's kind of crazy that. He'd throw that around like that. But even to me, like, if you top five protect it, I'm just like, no. No. Like, un if you want the second pick, you just unprotect the pick. Like, Yeah, and I... But but again, it all comes back to how you value the guy that you're getting in this scenario at four. Mm -hmm. Because when the Hawks moved down and took Trey Young yeah. and allowed the Mavericks to jump up, they that was the deal. They got yeah. the fifth pick, and they got a top five protected pick in the next draft, which ended up being number 10. They got Cam Reddish. Mm -hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the Fultz-Tatum deal was for an additional unprotected pick. Now, that was the first. That was, they were obviously trading for the first overall pick. Mm -hmm. But just to, like like if, if we were cutting the difference, like maybe based on those trades, the deal would be like the number four pick and like a top two protected pick yeah. next year. Or maybe Something just like one that. protect it just in case like you strike yeah. gold with Wimbignon or whatever. But if I'm the yeah. Thunder, like the reason that I want that pick is to give myself another bite at the apple for the first pick in next year's draft. Yeah, you're not doing it to get the sixth pick. And I mean, maybe you are. Maybe you think the next year's draft is like so far above this draft. Yeah. That that you value the sixth pick in next year's draft, but there's no guarantee of that. Like you're yeah. you're still making this bet on the Kings. Being bad again, which is a good bet, but you just don't, you don't know for sure. It's, yeah. it's certainly not locked in. No, it's not. Yeah, and I like if it was Chet, like Chet and Sabonis is it's just a weird pairing too. You know? I don't know. I kind of I mean I kind of like that because you're covering up some of his defensive efficiencies. You're you're getting a floor spacer on the offensive end. I know, but I'm, who defends the perimeter? Because like no one's that no one plays two bigs like that. Is what is what I'm saying. I don't. 
Yeah. I mean, there's just not, there's not a that when it comes to Chet. Like it's, it's hard to find an example of that player playing with anyone. Yeah. Like who is that guy in the league right now? Yeah. I don't know. Like you can't even really say Evan Mobley because he doesn't necessarily have that stretch capability right now in his offensive game. He's not out there taking, you know, four or five threes a game. So even, even though we think Evan Mobley's better, that's not a great comp either. No, you're right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I just am. I'm. I'm more offensively. I love it. Like I. I love. Like they're gonna finish everything around the basket, and Chet's gonna be able to do some weird stuff. And like I really love it. Defensively is just where I'm like. That's where like Sabonis is just hard to build around defensively. Where like Jared Allen is is not really because he can right. set his feet. So, but I would say like the the general point is that obviously the Thunder could do anything and and they're going to at least hear the offers because going back to that quote, if it's true and we all think it is true that they have a value on all of these picks. Yeah. Well then that means you have to explore trading down just to see what's out there. Yeah. And so when I see reports that, Oh, a trade has actually been discussed. Well, that makes sense. Like how, how else would you find out what the value is of moving down? Like you have to discuss what a trade framework would look like. Here's the, here's the thing. When we see reports, and this goes for so many things with the draft, like the Thunder have interviewed so-and-so, the Thunder have worked out so-and-so, or we have links from this player to the Thunder, the Thunder are going to talk to every player. They're going to work out every player in the first round up to like the 40 range probably. They're going to have workouts with everybody, whether it's reported or not. They're going to interview everybody, you know, whether they're going to take them or not. They're going to talk to every single team in the NBA that has a that has a pick in this draft, whether they plan to do anything with them or not. And they're going to discuss things and see where where they can meet the thresholds of these picks, whether it be 2, 12, 30, 34. They're going to talk to everybody. They're going to put it all out there. They're going to uncover every rock possible with this draft because that's what good teams do. That's what good management yeah. does. And I mentioned this on Twitter, but I do think there's an angle to this where it's like a counter smokescreen to Orlando. Yeah. Because Orlando's only job in this draft is to find out who Oklahoma City likes and try to encourage them to trade up to the number one pick to get that guy. Yeah, exactly. That's really only that's all they have to do here. Like they're not they're not going to trade below three and they're probably not going to trade below two. Probably not. So really, it's it's just Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. and the only reports you've heard, which maybe the, maybe you go the opposite and say, well, maybe this suggests Palo. But the only reports you've heard linking any players to Orlando have been Chet and Jabari. Mm-hmm. I've not heard one Palo report intel anything with mm-hmm. Orlando. Mm-mm. Which again, maybe this is all giant smokescreen and they take Palo. But right now, all we've heard is Jabari and Chet, and the most convincing ones have said Jabari, which was Gavoni said that. And then I think Henry Abbott said, I feel very confident Jabari. Everything else is smokescreen. Yeah. And then like today, it was very funny. Mims, stop chewing on that. <laughs> she, she's, she's, she's chewing on the air purifier, the, the cord that go, that's plugged in. You're going to electrocute yourself. Oh, no. Hold on. Uh, go get her. Mims, go get her. Rescue get her. Rescue her. Yeah. I would say I was hearing stuff from people that are pretty plugged in that were at the the lottery and at the combine that were like, yeah, Jabari number one. Um, and I was hearing Jabari was at the top of, of like legitimately at the top of some GM's boards. 
um, before the lottery and that they were like crossing their fingers for the draft that they would get Jabari. Um, so I do think that that's real. I think that's legitimate. I think that there and, may and be. And if a- that's true, then you should hear more reports in the coming weeks about them wanting Chet, which is already what we heard today. Quentin Richardson, who is the television like studio analysis analyst mm-hmm. for the Magic, he was on Cowherd today and suggested that they would take Chet. Yeah. And like, first of all, that'd be like, uh, I mean, that'd be very similar to like Michael Cage. Uh, Michael Cage going on Cowherd and like saying what Presti is going to do. So I don't even, I don't buy it at any buy point. It. But, yeah. but if he did talk to someone in the Magic front office before going on, wouldn't they tell him to, hey, say, say that we like Chet? Uh, yes. The answer is yes. They, so that's why, like, it's all, all there's so feels- much gamesmanship going on. There's so much yes. gamesmanship in the media, outside of the media, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, everywhere. Like it's and so that yeah. So then flipping back to OKC, if you know they're doing that, what's your job? Your job is to pretend that you don't like Chet. Your job <laughs> is to put it out there that oh, actually you're willing to trade down from two, and yeah. actually you might like Jaden Ivey, yeah. and that, that that might be the pick. Again, yeah. all of this could be true, but you can imagine a scenario where they're doing that to basically shut down any of these talks mm-hmm. with Orlando. Basically saying, like, you're not going to bully us into making a trade up. Right. Yeah. We don't even like any of the bigs. You know, we don't actually like anyone in this draft. Yeah. This we might just trade out altogether. <laughs> actually, Presti already uh, played his hand on that. He told, he said uh, to the media at his um, availability that he thought this draft was really good. So, wow. Major mistake. Major uh, mistake. You blew it, Presti. Now you got to lose two it. picks because of that. Um, where are you at on your Al Baby Cakes big board right now? How, where, where's, where are you, where are you, uh, where are you at in these top three? Well, what I found so challenging in, in a good way, and it came up in, in the conversation with Ben, is that like, you can imagine the fit with all of these guys. It's great. Like there's, there's the no one you're trying roster. to, av- there's yeah. no, no one you're trying to avoid. And, and for a long time, I just felt that way about the top three, but you keep going down the board and it's like, I kind of. Like all of these guys could fit. Yeah. And it goes back to what I was talking about, how when you're taking a guy in the lottery, a lot of the focus tends to be on what is their star potential. And when usually when you're talking about star potential, it's talking about self-creation skills. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is obsessed about that. And yeah, if you look at Ben Matherin just through that frame, maybe you don't like him as much. Sure. But if you start imagining him on a team with Shea and Giddy, all of a sudden it's like, oh, whoa, this guy could be like incredible next to Shane Giddy. I love him. Based yeah. on what skills he already has. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm finding myself slotting guys, but I'm like super excited about most of them. <laughs> like I it's hard for me to I'm I'm having trouble finding a lot of guys that I like actively would be upset with. Well give me your Al Baby right Cakes now. top three. I mean top three right now would be Chet Palo Jabari. Okay. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm and then, still very in on chat. Honestly, what Ben kind of sold me on Jaden Ivey. Did he? Be- because I hadn't really, I mean, obviously everyone looks at the three guard lineup, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. but I hadn't heard like a really good argument beyond that because those three guards are much different from Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. The good thing about Ivy though, with this trio being different from that is defensively like they're a little bit more versatile because you don't have two small guards you know 
Because yeah, Giddy's not a guard. Like he's not a guard on defense. Like he's gonna guard wings and he's gonna guard fours when he gets, you know, when he's twenty eight, he'll probably guard fours, you know. And the other thing is like, yes, you can say that those other three guards in the past were much better shooters or you trusted them more. But on the other hand, like none of those guys are as athletic and explosive as Jaden Ivey. Yeah. True. Like so he's bringing his own strengths to this new idea of a three guard lineup. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. trying to look up what what is Jaden Ivey's uh do we know his wingspan yet? Cuz he didn't he, measure. He didn't measure at the combine. There's like very few useful measurements from the combine. <laughs> Cuz like nba.com I'm looking at this. It says that he has a 6-9 wingspan. And now if that's true, then I feel even better. Yeah. There's a lot to like about Jaden Ivey. I worry about the left hand. I worry um I don't know. I I think he's interesting. I I would not want to pass up Chet though. Like if if they are going to take if they're not going to take Chet at number 1. Like I just I would I don't know. I would hate to pass up on on Chet Holmgren at number 2. Yeah. That's kind of my my general feeling, but I could talk myself into like that trio, that guard trio pretty quick. If they're going to I I want them to start him too. Like, I don't want any of this, like, BS James Harden coming off the bench stuff, you know? Like, just start him, you know? Yeah, and I think, like, I know a lot of Thunder fans get upset, at least being on Thunder Twitter, about the idea of even thinking about trading Dort. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, that has way more to do with the fact that, like, he's the most tradable asset on the team. Yeah. Like, no one's trading Shea. No one's trading Giddy. Who else are you trading that has any value whatsoever in the league? It's mm-hmm. Dort, and that's basically it. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can talk yourself into Kenrich, but really, like long term upside, it's Dort. That is the one pick where, like, okay, now you really start having start having to have that Dort conversation. Like, how much yeah. can Dort guard up? Can you? Yeah, can you draft Ivy and pay Dort? Pay Dort? I think the answer is no. Like It'd flat out, it, I think it's flat out no. Because then you're playing three guards, you're gonna have to play a wing at some point. Like it just, it makes the roster crunch has like the roster crunch has to happen like faster if you take Ivy. Yeah. But Ivy might be the right guy to take as well. You know, they may, the evaluation on Ivy might just be like, hey, listen, he's the best guy in the draft, and you know, a lot of people like the size and length and shot making and everything else that these top three guys have. But the fact is like Jaden Ivey is going to be the best player in the draft. And if we have to trade Dort to make that happen, fine. You know, um, that's just, what, what do you, uh, we, we, we asked Ben this question about a mission, your answer. Uh, what if you take Chet at two and Duran's there at 12, you feel like he's the best player available. Do you do it? No. I don't. I don't see this. I don't see the the same ceiling that Ben sees with Duran. I think he could be like a starting level center in the NBA, but I don't know. I don't love the fit. I don't. Long term, I think that you're you're creating problems for yourself. That I would. You're not, you're, you're hinking it by yeah, taking. Uh, yeah, I just too wouldn't want to deal. I would rather like if AJ Griffin's there. Like, yeah, sign me up. To me, if I'm the Thunder. I just wouldn't take a traditional big in the draft. Like, full stop. Wouldn't do it. Because you can find those guys. The, th- the thing the Thunder have right now is like they have this treasure trove of assets. They're going to make trades. What's the easiest position to acquire? It's, I mean, the Cavs just got an all-star big man just by saying like, 
hey, we'll jump in the trade. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh and yeah, we'll, ar- we'll take him. Like that's I would not do that. I just wouldn't. I just would not take a traditional big. If you need one, you can get one later on because they are undervalued on the trade well, you market. Look at- who are the guys that people are talking about right now in trades for this summer? Rudy Gobert, yeah, DeAndre Ayton, Yusuf Nurkic, Clint Capella. Like those are all starting starting caliber centers. Bingo. They're all seemingly available. Bingo. So like, why would you spend draft assets on that when those guys it's, are available? Especially the twelfth pick. Like that's a valuable pick. And the thing that you can't get for free or with like one first round pick is a wing. Wings. Or a combo guard that can really score. Those guys are not, either they are just flat out not available, or they're too expensive, or they want to go to the coast. So let's try to get one now and bring them in and see if they work. I And McKellie is obsessed with A.J. Griffin too and thinks that he could be like the, like if you're trying to find the Devin Booker of this draft in that spot, like he thinks he's that guy just because hmm. he's got like upside as a creator and was kind of hidden a little bit at Duke, whether that be like his own injury problem or like just the way they used him in the offense. You know, McKelly loves him. Ben loves him. Those are two like the smartest, like individualized, like thinkers about basketball that, you know, I've talked to and like that, that's enough to uh, talk me into it. Honestly. Um, I like him just fine. I just, my main concern has just been the injury history and like the yeah. the heaviness that he's got, which I mentioned earlier. So, yeah, I, you'd have to ask someone who's like been doing this a long time. But I'd be interested in knowing another example of a guy who had a similar path, where like super athletic, had some injuries, lost a lot of that athleticism, and was able to get back to like elite level athleticism in this type of like developmental OG range. OG. <sighs> A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I know he had an injury. Was he, I, I don't know enough about like what his athleticism was like before uh, and after to know how the difference was. But yeah, yeah I, I would just like to hear of one example of a guy in that similar developmental age range where this happened and it all came back. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to buy into it. I just, it is kind of scary because it feels like so much of people's uh, evaluation of him is kind of banking on that in some way. It definitely is. That's why I'm so scared. And, and that's why, like, okay, fine. Just give me another example where this has happened and I'll feel better. <laughs> yeah, make this make this work in my head. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Johnny Davis might be there at 12, and I, I like the idea of that too. If, um, dude, if the Knicks pass on him, the, the more I've read people's opinions, like, because he gets mocked to them a lot, yeah. man, he seems so perfect. I know. For Tibbs. Yeah. In a good way, not like in a sarcastic way. Like genuinely a good fit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, defensively he's got it. I think there's going to be some shot creation stuff for him there. I like him. And he's a gamer. He's a gamer. I love him on this team. Just, I mean, he's obviously a lot different than Jaden Ivey. He's not like the crazy athlete. But you're talking about a three-guard lineup. Like you can still have like that three-guard lineup with Chet if you took Johnny Davis at 12. You know? And you yeah. like have a guy that can really defend on the wing. And then you can just be like, hey, this year, part of what this year is going to be about is figuring out how this team fits. And also, it's Johnny Davis versus Dort. And who wins out? You know what I mean? And then you could you know, trade one of them at the deadline if you, you, know, if you needed to. 
or maybe Dort's value is lessened and you can sign him for like three years, 12 per or something like that. In which case, like you'd be fine with that because if Dort's coming off the bench as your like six man type of guy who can get some buckets here and there and defend, like that's not a, that's not the worst thing in the world. You know, Marcus Smart comes off the bench a lot for the Celtics, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that, conversation plays out over the summer it, it's just it's it's hard before knowing who they take in the draft yeah because um, if they bring in a big and a wing all of a sudden it's like oh dort's our fifth starter and this feels perfect and mm-hmm. everything's great but if they if they did go ivy and if they did take like another wing or guard then you start questioning because there's still so many guys on this team that we yeah. uh, are high on i know it's our conversations are going to change so fast like right after. Oh the yeah, draft. I mean, we, we haven't even mentioned Trey Mann. And we love we love Trey. And we love Trey Mann. It's gonna be it's gonna be so fun. Uh, I this is, I think that I'm like just now like it's kind of like clicking in my mind, and I've known it, and I've when we've articulated it some, but like this is for the Thunder, it is like a really good draft. For other teams, it's it's really just not. Like for the Magic, it's kind of like, oh man, this is kind of not the best draft for them to be drafting super high. For OKC, it's it's great because of the way they built their team and because they drafted Giddy last year. Just the way that they've set themselves up for this draft in particular is just uh, it's outstanding. And you have to believe that Presti was making this Giddy pick with this draft in mind as well. You know, not as like the only piece of the puzzle, but like, yeah, I would be shocked if, you know, when they're evaluating like, hey, listen, like we were going to be high in next year's draft and there's no creators in that draft at all. And we have Giddy and Kaminga and this other guy all in the same tier. Like if we're going to build a team and through the draft, we're going to build a team. Look at look at who's up next. Like, how do they fit with these guys? Like, how do these four or five guys fit with this crew? Um, with Giddy, it's almost perfect. With Kaminga, it's not. It, well, if they, if they took Kaminga, now we're like, oh, man, Ivy might be actually the best pick at two. Yeah. And even that team, like, significantly worse passing team. Yep. Like, subbing out Giddy and putting in Ivy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. And I would say to the Thunder fans who are worried, you know, about some of these these rumors out there, the scuttlebutt, the thing that you got to keep reminding yourself is that the Thunder are the ones in the position of power. Mm-hmm. Like the only team that has more power than them is Orlando. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. They have more power than any of these other teams. And if you look at Presti's moves that he's made when he's been in a position of power, which was like the Russ trade because because James Harden and Tillman Fertitta were demanding that they trade for Russ. Or if you look at the Paul George trade, like Presti has not just come out on top. He's come out like overwhelmingly on top. You could go back to the Serge Ibaka trade to Orlando. He, he was in a position of power in that trade as yeah. well. When he is in a position of power, if he makes a deal, it is like wildly in his favor. Yeah. It would be to me if Sacramento wanted to get there. And Sacramento, not in a position of power at all. Like they are no, they're they're uh, they're in the opposite. They're in a position of desperation because their GM has one year left on his contract, yep. and he has a mandate. We assume to make the playoffs, and, and honestly, why wouldn't you have a mandate? You've missed a sixteen years in a row, it's so like I get it. Years, it's time. But like that puts you in a position of desperation, yep. and that's why like 
the, the whole idea of the Kings moving up to two, like I don't really get it because no. it seems like a move that like a, a smart team would do. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm all for it if the Kings really did do that. But if you're desperate to make the playoffs next year, are you really going to bet it all on drafting, you know, 18 or 20 year old, no. whether it's Jabari or Chet or Paolo, like that's, that's not a great bet. I think it's a great long-term bet, but if you are really worried about making the playoffs next year, that would terrify me. And you're giving up a future asset. Like that, I, I don't know. For for another team, I would be more gung-ho about it. But all of the context with the Kings, them trading up actually scares me more. Yeah. For me, if I'm the Kings, I would take Ivy, trade Fox to... Like, if you can call the Knicks and say, hey, will you give us 11 and one other additional asset for Fox? You know, Knicks would probably do that. To me, that's that's something that I would be looking at if I were the Kings. And give yourself like, give yourself a runway. Give yourself some, like, real potential to have. Um, that's, that's the kind of stuff I would be looking to do. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be open to Keegan Murray as well. Um, I I think he'd be a, a decent fit. Yeah, I like the, the fit with of Keegan and Sabonis offensively. It's uh it's a match made in heaven. Like it makes that makes a ton of sense for them. You know, watch them take Shaden Sharp and just turn him into Ben Mclemore two point Dude, I mean, I would give them some credit. Like if if I would if 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 he took Shaden Sharp, I would be like, oh, Monty must have an extension coming. Because if he doesn't, yeah, that's like real. a ton of guts to take the 18-year-old mystery man that no mm-hmm. one's seen play. Yeah, that's for real. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I don't know. I'm interested to see. Like De- Detroit, obviously Detroit, they could take Sharp without you know batting an eye. Um, I'd be surprised if he, – he, Sharp doesn't feel like a pacer to me, but maybe, maybe he would be where they're just like, hey, listen – we just got to take a swing because we're not going to be here again. You know, we're. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like the fit because um, I think he, he feels like a nice counterbalance to some of Halliburton's strengths. Yeah, theoretically. Um, yeah. I, I, I love Ivy on Detroit. And like a, a part of me too. just thinking thinking about the future, I'm like, I don't want it to happen because I feel like it, it would be so good. <laughs> be very and dynamic. It scares me a little. It'd be very dynamic. Um. Yeah, it would be very fun. I think it would make them good right away. I think Ivy's going to be impactful right away. I guess the only like real point there is that if Ivy goes in there and makes an impact right away with uh, Cade, then like maybe Detroit's like okay, and maybe you know I think everybody expects them to deal Jeremy. Maybe they don't. You know what if they don't? What if they're just like no, we'll just keep Jeremy. And, and maybe we get that pick a little bit sooner. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And also, like, one less team that's, like, another team that's, like, trying to battle to get into the play-in. There are just – there's so many teams that are going to be battling for the play-in next year that if you're the Thunder, you're like, all right, go on ahead, everybody. <laughs> you know, move, hey, move hey, forward. Andy, we're going to – we're letting the team declare themselves, okay? <coughs> and they might declare sure. themselves as the number two overall seed in the Western Conference. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I won't go as high as number one, but sure. they could be the two seed, Andrew. Sure. <laughs> uh, I feel like I could talk about this draft forever. We got to stop this pod because we're at an hour twenty-three. Um, All right, but uh, do appreciate it. Uh, listen to Slam and Jam on Saturday. We're gonna have some more draft content there. 
which should be fun. So be sure to subscribe to the Athletic NBA show. Uh, Frypod will be all draft all the time as well. We'll get the L-Man's thoughts on on the draft on Friday. Um, hope you guys are doing awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Ben for joining us. Uh, he's such a fun uh, person to have on for the draft just because he's such a, a different thinker. So we do appreciate him. And uh, we will talk to you guys again on Friday.